for May 1st, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 774. This'll be the day that I die. I just ate a brownie. It's overthinking, or we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are sitting sitting around uh, talking about the things we love, trying to make uh, trying to make each other laugh. You know, a long, long time ago, I can still remember when the podcast used to make me smile. You know, but it doesn't anymore because we're a serious political podcast. <laughs> We've become a politics all the time podcast. I'm uh, I'm commentator Matt. I, I, I'm here with with commentator Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. Emolument clauses. Emolument. <laughs> <laughs> Downton Abbey. The entail must be smashed. Do you remember those early episodes of Downton Abbey when the entail must be smashed? I don't know why emolument made me think of that. Um, emolument and emollient. Two very different, <laughs> two very similar words for two very different things. And uh, commentator Mark Lee. Mark, what is your position on these recent goings on? Uh, let me tell you, I've been reading Tucker Carlson's text messages, oh, no. and um, yeah, they they got a lot of hot takes in there, and um, and I, I may or may not agree with some of them. There you go. Huh. <laughs> to, think, to think that he was a, a, a Chun Li main this whole time. <laughs> um, all right, the latest developments in in the political news: mainstream media won't talk about. The state visit, <laughs> the, the, the state dinner, the visit from President Yoon of South Korea, uh, going around, going around the horn. Mark Lee, what is the most important thing that happened when President Yoon visited the White House, visited the United States? I mean, probably discussing the security situation in Asia, um, as well as, uh, South Korea's participation in arming Ukraine. Um, I, I think it's that. No, Pete, you disagree? Sorry, that's the air coming out of America as you poke <laughs> holes in the truth. <laughs> wow. Mark, yeah. we all know that the most important thing that ever happens when it happens is karaoke, all right? That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Oh, of international significance. Yes. Karaoke of international significance. Just I have like, not just experienced... Like, and Let's go ahead. G- Jesus said, "When when two or more are gathered in my name, I am there, holding a microphone, ordering a pitcher of of you know sudsy flat beer, and uh, trying to hit the high notes in a journey song. Um, and uh, just as every every party that you know two or more overthinkers have together must end in private room karaoke, so too uh, President Yoon uh, decided that his his party, by which I mean a state." dinner at the white house must end in karaoke but karaoke of national significance mark would you like to describe what happened because i think this really struck you in a special way since you're from alabama Uh. (laughs) (laughs) yes because because of that because of alabama's significance in in korean american bilateral relations no because uh for those who haven't uh, heard this in the podcast, yes, I am of Korean descent, and so um, you know, keenly follow the goings on uh, of my mother country, uh, much more so than the average American. So here's the deal, right? You know, fairly new-ish, uh, you know, president of Korea 
um, doing things that Korean presidents do, right? You know, uh, shore up relationships with their most important ally, the United States. Um, and, you know, that's a very complicated and fraught relationship. Um, in case you guys didn't know, there was a war. The United States was there. There's a lot of troops still stationed there um, after the war. And the pendulum really swings in South Korea from, you know, kind of prone anti-American sentiments. Oh, here's a hot take. Here. Oh, not hot take. Here's, a, here's an interesting personal anecdote. I promise I will not fill this up. With all my personal anecdotes related to the, the country, South Korea, I was there summer 2004. A Korean national um, was in Iraq, um, and South Korea was participating in some significant way in the American military mission uh, in in South Korea. And this poor gentleman died, who was at the hands of uh, you know various Iraqi enemy forces. And uh, there's huge protest in downtown Seoul. Um, I kind of happened to cross it. It was not my plan to go there and attend it. Uh, I mean, let me tell you, it was intense. Okay, like. Uh, and people very much blame the United States uh, for this poor guy's death, as opposed to like you know the the, the Iraqis, uh, more so than the Iraqis who, who actually off him. Um, so yeah, lots of complicated stuff going on there. Anyway, um, fast forward a couple of decades later, you know, South Korean president comes to the United States, um, has a, a a great time at a state dinner, um, and at the end, so there's a live band on stage, and I mean, you might want to debate the terms of like quote unquote karaoke, the extent to which it is or isn't karaoke, but in any event. There's a live band on stage. Um, you know, there's the banter, and you know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, it turns out I hear you can sing a little bit, Mr. Mr. President, something along those lines, right? And that's like, oh my goodness, I haven't seen a microphone here. Pianist hit it a long, long time ago. You know, and then the president of South Korea, who who doesn't speak English well enough that you know he doesn't need a translator on stage, right? You know, like you know, sings pretty decently well the first part of the song, American Pie, and you know. Like the room erupts in uh, in 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 um in applause. Everybody thinks it's great. Um, it is of course like you know pre-planned spontaneity, right? And that's something else we can get into if if we so choose. Um, <clears throat> but uh, th- that was the kind of the thing, right? The video clip. Uh, it's about a couple of minutes long. We'll, we'll include it in the show notes. Um, you know, went viral on the internet because how often is it that you see a visiting uh, dignitary, you know, at a, a head of state at a state dinner, uh, sing in a, a, a pop song. Um, like that in front of the pre- president of the United States. It doesn't happen that often. Very notable. And of course notable, um, the song that they chose, American Pie. And we'll get into kind of like how that is or is not appropriate. Um, and then uh, I think to cap it all off, uh, the president was gifted and a, a guitar autographed, autographed by Don McLean, who of course wrote performed American Pie. Um, and we might get into that as well, too, because uh, he's a little problematic these days um so yeah that happened all that happened this uh just a, just a few days ago um it it uh it, it is uh, nothing if not an occasion to discuss and overthink did i miss anything in kind of the key just kind of laying on the facts here pete are there more are there more recent instances of american pie uh well, coming just, american pie i don't want to subtract too much from the korean american angle on this because obviously it's going to be the most pertinent for people, I think when they think about American Pie, they're mostly thinking about um, Korea. I think. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, which is funny to say, no, right? Thought, because that's like, what, I thought when I listened to Soul Man, that's what I. That's what I. I mean, I'm trying to say something a little trenchant by saying that, in the sense that you know, American Pie has this construction to the identity of the singer, not the person singing it, but the sort of voice of the poet of the song that is 
that makes a play at being universal, but is really extremely narrow, right? Like, like it is very specifically about a kid of a specific age who experiences a specific personal moment that happens to coincide with a specific historical moment that is never talked about except in the context of describing the song that he wrote about it years later, right? Like, um, and let me, I mean, that's not fair. I guess it's not entirely fair to say, like, sometimes on the History Channel, back before they did Punkin' Chunkin', they would talk about, you know, the plane crash that killed the big bopper. But, like, it's 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 such a very specific slice. And I want to talk a little bit more about, like, what that means. But but the fact that it gets latched onto as this, as this piece of universal Americana that extends across geographical and chronological distances, despite being, like, much, much smaller in scope than, say, something like We Didn't Start the Fire is, right? It's, uh, and also being something similar to We Didn't Start the Fire and not really being entirely positive uh, about what it's talking about. Uh, in fact, being kind of a tragic, sad song that's often sang celebratorily. The, the experience that I had with it that was strange, uh, to say the least, was the singing of it by the heavyweight champion Tyson Fury after defeating the other heavyweight champion, uh, Deontay Wilder in a heavyweight championship match a couple years ago. Uh, this might have been the rematch, but he's like, this is a guy who's, you know, like uh, he's been known for having mental health struggles, but also kind of rising above the mental health struggles. He's the guy who like lost 100 pounds and gained 100 pounds while he was heavyweight champion and is a little loopy uh, about a bunch of things, which I'm mostly referring to like his personal statements about political stances and stuff like that. He's also not American. No, no, no. Notable. He's not American at all. He's an Irish traveler. So he's uh, he is he is a he, is, he calls himself the Gypsy King, uh, and he is from uh, he is from the UK. Um, if that's what it's still called these days, if they haven't changed the names of things as they've reorganized the uh, the political structure over there, but uh, he's from that neck of the woods. But he was fighting in Las Vegas, and he sang American Pie after the fight. The whole thing, it's like known He's just like, I want this fight. This is great. All right, let's everybody sing. Yeah, I like like he, first he goes like, like I want to thank Lord Jesus Christ. You know, like, you know, like just right mm, into it. it does, yeah. And then it's like a long, long time ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, wow, yeah. this guy's been punched in the head a lot of times. Uh, <laughs> that might not be why this is happening, <laughs> but maybe they have a common cause. <laughs> um, but, but, but yeah, but like but he sang it and it was kind of baffling. Uh, but but there was a reason that he felt that that was the right song to sing at that time. And there's also a reason that the oh. president of South Korea felt that it was the right song to sing at that time. And I feel like the reasons are both similar and different and that this is a paradoxical song that I think we all should talk about now that we all have had the Internet for long enough that it is not mysterious what it is about. Uh, it is not like a, a cipher or a riddle. It is not just mystical psychedelia or like transportative, you know, uh, prophetic imaginings. We know what it is about. We know what he is talking about. Uh, why is it such a confounding and confusing sort of piece of resonance? Uh, that feels like it isn't, I guess, is what I would say. It's like, on the surface, this is a song that seems like it has a pretty straightforward role in the culture, but then the deeper you look, the more weird it gets, and the more weird spots it shows up. Okay. So let's uh, just like very briefly summarize the baseline, right? Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of talked about it, right? Like, so the day the music died is the day that Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and who else died in a plane crash? Um, big deal. The right. music, um, Mark. The, the, mu the music. The music um, died all, that all day. Music. Um, and since then, we've just all been copying the same chord progression, and apparently Ed Sheeran now was going to owe Marvin Gaye a lot of money. Um, that's the subject for a future podcast for sure. Um, okay, so you have that event in the 50s, and then basically like, it, like there's a lot of name-checking of important um, social and political events through the 60s and into the 70s, right? 
um, you know, obvious stuff like Vietnam and then, you know, specific things like Bob Dylan and Elvis. Um, and then, like, uh, oddly enough, like the, that time when the Stanford marching band was in the end zone and, uh, and, and like the football player had to run through <laughs> to score the winning touchdown. Like that's in there as well, too. Right. But the, the whole thing kind of painting this picture of America in a time of great upheaval, social change um, and kind of a status quo really being disrupted. And I think on the whole, the song is saying like it's not for the better. Right. The three men I admire most, the father, son and the Holy Ghost. They took the last train for the coast the day the music died. Right. It's like that's not saying like, yeah, America has gotten better. It's like really like, you know, there's, there's a lot of sad stuff here and just like, you know, change. And it feels very strange. Like the, that's the third, kind of like yeah. the thesis of American Pie, like in a nutshell. Right. The third person is Richie Valens. Mm, yeah. The guy who sang La Bamba. Right. Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, the three men he admires. Most. Yes. But so like so many things involving the boomers, I feel like there's a conflation between when America was better and when the boomers were children. Uh, and then this being because the boomers are, have been at least, you know, before the ascendancy of the millennials, of course, were such a big part of the population that their particular spot in life was a very heavy place in, in the sort of general influence and the uh, distribution of ideas and art. So it's sort of like uh, it's like there's particular Medici's that just really stand out as being super important. Uh, and, and when you step back and look at it, it's like, I mean, he wasn't that magnificent. <laughs> like if Lorenzo had been really magnificent, he would have you know stuck around longer or done more important stuff. Uh, and I'm not trying to like poop on poop on the boomers cultural experience, but I really feel like. We are we're waking up a little bit, I think from the cultural construction that their childhood was everyone's childhood, and particularly white boomers, obviously, uh, is, is what we're talking about. Um, and that this is an experience not just of America in the 60s becoming kind of, you know, lost, you know, be, becoming well, dry, you know, the levee is dry, the water, the water of, of renewing life that came from the music they listened to in his youth is gone. Uh, but this is a time when a person had a sort of reckoning with death as a child, uh, you know, and and loss um, that perhaps changed his feeling of security about his place in the universe. Uh, at least that's how I'm reading it, preparing for this podcast, how I sort of was thinking about it. It's like all of the people he talks about are people who like he had an idea that they were one way and then they ended up being another way. Um you know, to quote, to quote, uh, to quote that boy, Marlowe, Marlo. <laughs> another agent of change. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, you know, like John Lennon and Joan Baez is in there and like lots of people died young from, you know, from violence or drugs and like, you know, Charles Manson or whatever. There's like, I don't know if it's Charles Manson, but there's like serial killings. Um, there's just a lot of death obsession in it. Um, and I think that that's the kind of thing that might come from a kid remembering a time when he, you know, lost that form of his innocence. Um, and the idea that the 60s were a time that that was the case for everybody. I wonder, because obviously we weren't around, you know, but I wonder whether that really, it really was that, or whether it was more the loss of innocence for the people who happened to be alive at the time in large numbers. You know, like, I don't know. I don't know the extent to which the specific events of American Pie um, are, are, I suppose, re- revisionistically considered to be as important as they historically in recent terms have been thought to be, especially by the president of North Korea. I don't know. 
Um, does that all make sense? Am I like garbling us too fast? Well, or? yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I think something that you're pointing to is a logic, logical fallacy that is not exactly post hoc ergo propter hoc. It's, uh, at the same time as hoc, therefore related to hoc, yes, right? Yes, like yes. the idea that, that like things happening at the same time, uh, are related to one another. This is generally true in storytelling. <laughs> You know, like if if you have a if you're cutting back and forth between two scenes in a movie or something like that, it's because like they're related to each other in some way. The the some of the Shakespeare history plays actually really do this, where they'll they'll I think like Antony and Cleopatra like jumps has big jumps in space, um, you know, to do like half a page uh, in Rome and half a page in Egypt and stuff like that. Like it's happening at the same time in the story, therefore, uh, therefore uh, because it. So like so saying you know know, hey, me going through puberty, like my adolescence is also the adolescence of the country because things happened that made me feel, you know, uh, that made me feel uncomfortable and things happened that made everyone feel uncomfortable because everyone felt like me. This is the same, you know, this is the, it's, it's, it's related to, it's related to the pathetic fallacy, right? Like it's, it's the idea that, um, it's the idea that things out there are sort of a are sort of a reflection on me, and I actually don't mean to knock it. It's how we all experience life, right? Like, because you have to like make up a story out of your life in order to like you know maintain maintain some kind of semblance of an identity, as opposed to being like just a disconnected uh, series of impressions, you know. And, and unless you, I don't know, and you'd be like uh, you'd be like kind of mentally unhinged, or else I don't know, have achieved nirvana or something if you're just a disconnected series of impression so i'm not trying to to knock the the um knock the practice uh but the you know the idea that like sort of something's lost and something's gained you know uh is that but there is there is a lot of there is a lot of slippage i think between um there's a lot of slippage, I think, between like, hey, what goes on, what goes on for an individual and kind of what goes on for a, a society. And like one of the signs of that in the lyrics, in the writing of the song, one of the signs of that is kind of how, how impressionistic they are, how they kind of skip from, you know, allusion, allusion to allusion and how they skip from, you know, image to image and kind of don't, don't, it, it's not a kind of coherent argument sort of song. It's more an impressionistic kind of mood song where all the history historical things are are referenced in in a sort of a slant way like you know the the gesture the jester and the the marching band and the you know all of that um all of that stuff uh but that that yeah that there is there is just this kind of like big there's this just big soup of of uh sort of journaling He wrote it later, right? Like so, the the thing that complicates it, where which I think you were getting into, Pete, a little bit, is like now, now there's like another lens, there's another kind of perspective because this is being this is being written, um, this is being written, you know, uh, kind of ex post facto, and and uh, is a reminiscence, you know, so it's colored by colored by nostalgia, right? Though not from too long ago. <laughs> but I mean, from a long, long, long time ago, I guess it is a long, long time ago. So like American Pie is written in 1971 and the day the music died is in February of 1959. And the events it describes only lead up through 
1970, I want to say. Because I think the, I mean, one of the last things that it describes. Okay, I should I should at least describe in brief. It describes a whole bunch of musicians and protest movements and like news events that were socially disruptive between 1959 and 1970 that then form this nostalgic idea that the time before the death of Richie Valens and the Big Bopper and uh, um, Buddy Holly. The time before had a sort of social coherence and kind of beauty and and kind of prelapsarian would be the word. It's the before the fall of Eden, right? Um, and and the time after has become tumultuous and not as life giving. But at the same time, you know, he doesn't speak entirely negatively of it. Um, but he's only writing in 1971, and and he's talking about it being a long, long time ago for something that was only 12 years ago. Um, which, I mean, again, I guess if you're not that old, that does seem like a long, long time. But that would be like us writing about uh, 2011, like the movie, like 2012. Like if we were writing about that, like a long, long time ago, right? Like uh, what even happened in 2011? I don't even, I guess I don't remember. I should have written a song about it so I would remember what took place. Um, but like... Uh, yeah, nothing of consequence happened I mean, in I'm sure lots of stuff happened in 2011. I don't know stuff that started had a middle and ended in 2011. There's a lot of stuff that's kind of going on uh, continuously. Long, long time ago, Estonia adopted the Euro. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. (laughs) And Russia was under an attack. Uh, No, it's... um, Okay, so... so, But, okay, but... The other side of it, or the others, like we're describing a a dodecahedron here, many sides... So, you know, there is the this is my life versus this is the world around me. Then there is, of course, the way in which this narrativization is just an essential part of art and of living. And then there's the idea that of myth making and epic and and that this song is somewhat of an epic in describing, uh, you know, a journey from this idyllic time to the present. And when people sing about it, here's 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 my question for the president of South Korea. When you drove your Chevy to the levee. Were you hoping that there was going to be water? Like, like that's what I wanted. That, the next time I hear someone sing American Pie, I want to be like, do you wish the levee weren't dry? Or are you glad that the levee is dry? Because it rhymes. <laughs> right? Like, um, uh, with pie, I suppose. Which is not dry, right? Because uh, the levee is supposed to keep uh, a certain place dry. Like, to keep, keep the floodwaters out. Okay. Okay. So, so my understanding. Okay. So maybe, maybe the mechanics of the levy are worth unpacking because I'm not sure I fully <laughs> understand them. And this is overthinking it. So let's do it. So, so the levy is a. It's like a dam, right? But it keeps. It's like at a at a at a at a water at a the mouth of a river or at the ocean, right? Um, and it keeps water. It's like sort of like a break front uh, or slightly different. Maybe correct me if I'm wrong here. Those of you who know more civil engineering than I do, uh, but it keeps water from flooding into inhabited areas right it's sort of improved areas as it were um and the levee being dry to me is describing like a profound drought where the water isn't sure. even there yeah yeah, yeah. Um, right and I think that's a fair interpretation you know? there's so, no so there was, yeah, there's yeah. no place there's no right exactly there's no even need a levee is kind of like comically or tragically redundant in those in those circumstances right. now of course the good news is the levee probably isn't dry anymore <laughs> Unless it's like the, the like the, the uh the what are those uh spent seas in the former Soviet Union that's just a pit of sulfuric salts right now. But no, the levee probably has plenty of water now. But we were writing about now. We're writing about nineteen seventy one. Um but yeah, like 
that okay because if that's if that's a controversial reading if we're really supposed to believe that like there's water at the levee but really it isn't flooded um but no we're talking about a, a, either a drought situation where the levee where the water has kind of receded from the levee now the question then is like why did you drive your chevy to the levee that you hoped there was going to be water were you going to drown yourself that's the life of pie the tiger's going to eat the kid reading of the song right Yikes, like, <laughs> wow okay yeah <laughs> like why are you driving your chevy to the levee do you want to walk into the ocean or are you going swimming is it like oh i'm a kid and i go to why did you drive your chevy to the levee before was it because you wanted to go swimming or fishing um did you bring anybody it sounds like you went alone right um did you go to the levee just because it rhymed with your car uh, is, is there, is there some other reason that you went to the levee or is it like I went down to the river to pray and, and this is a sort of Baptist thing, um, you know, where like, shall we gather at the river, uh, you know, um, uh, and you go to the river and the river is dry and it's dry because, you know, John Lennon read a book on Marx and, uh, and, and, you know, the, the marching band is still on the field and that's just a sign that everything's going crazy. Um, yeah. so, since you mentioned the marching band, yeah, just a quick fact check, right? Since the yeah. song was in 1971 at that Stanford marching band incident was not like 10 years after that. So like, that's not a direct reference to that. Yeah, it's and, probably and the, yeah. more of like a Kent state sort of thing going on. It's just like, you know, much darker and more serious. Yeah. And the, the King looking down on us can't be Elvis. Elvis was like still, we watched the Elvis movie and then podcast. <laughs> so Elvis was not dead yet when the song came out, not by a yeah. long shot. Yeah. He is still very much alive. Thank you very much. I mean, so like you, you touched upon this, Pete, but like, you know, the underthinking uh, answer to the question of like why do people like to sing the song is because two reasons. It's a good collection, interesting collection of vowels and consonants. And also because it just kind of like, you know, ticks these different boxes of Americana references. Right. American pie. Right. As American as apple pie. Right. Chevy, you know, we, we know how much we love the Chevy Silverado on, on this podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, right. Chevy Levy, 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 dry, dry rhyming with rye or drinking whiskey and rye. Um, you know, someone who's a who's a, a more of a aficionado of these types of beverages, you know, like uh, check me on this year. Right. But then like that's, you know, it's American enough. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, redundant. Uh, right. Isn't right. Wouldn't you refer to it as rye whiskey? I think so, yeah. Or I guess rye is different from whiskey. Maybe that's a change in terminology that's happened in the intervening years. But I always thought of rye as a subset of whiskey, but maybe I'm wrong. I'm no, not a big... you, are, you are correct. Rye okay. is a subset of whiskey. In fact, a, a lot of American whiskey has rye in it. it. One of the grains in it, though predominantly corn whiskey in, is made in the United States, but especially high rye content in the mash bill is, is called – they're just called rye whiskeys. But um, yeah, whiskey and rye is like, uh, yeah, it's a it's a little bit of a of a poetic license f- fudge there, you know. Um, so yeah, yeah. So to round this out, like regardless of the audience, whether you're a middle aged Korean man, you know, who you know clearly is not fluent in English, but is you know culturally tuned enough to know uh know the song and know well well enough to sing in front of the freaking president of the United States and the entire American press corps, whether you're that person. Whether you're, um, let's say, a teenager in, I don't know, 1998, just learning about classic rock and, uh, you know, just kind of latching on to any, any pop culture that's, that seems like profound and significant. Um, I'm talking about myself, of course, here. Um, or, you know, whether you're uh, a, a teenager or 20 something in 1971, right? You know, there's just, just like there's it's, the song just gives you a lot of specificity to latch on to. Um, and then to kind of round it all out here, right? You know, singing this will be the day that I die. Um, again, just kind of like just like in a bright red marker, just kind of you know underlining, oh, profound, like deep. Should care about this, right? Just like talking about mortality, 
um, the, the that's like at a, at a surface level. Um, <clears throat> that's what's going on with the song. And I don't want to like poo poo it, right? I don't want to discount it because as we talked about a lot um, on this podcast, songs function at kind of multiple levels. And the lyrics, uh, you know, in this case, the, the, the lyrics of the song, you know, do offer up a lot of specificity, but they're kind of working in context, in, in concert with the, the the melody and the harmony and the rhythm going on, right? You know, we got the the the, especially you know as it gets into the song, as it as it really picks up steam, um, becomes a real kind of rousing sing along sort of thing, right? You know, it, it it's not all just kind of like you know, dictionary reading and comprehension of all these references, it just become, everything just really starts to work at an emotional level. Um, and it's like, yeah, America stuff, pie, truck, water, death. Oh yeah. I like this. This feels good. And this feels real. So that, and, and like, and podcast, it probably doesn't deserve. We don't need to talk about it anymore. We, we figured it out folks. That's why the South Korean president is singing in the United States in, in 2023. But like, uh, th- does that explanation resonate? With you guys, at least kind of like at that at that surface level, why someone might decide that this is a cool thing. Um, I mean, I think I think you're sell- you are. Sell- I'm being a bit of a jerk, and you're selling it a bit short um, because I've always had a bit of a problem with lyrics, um, and by which I mean like lyrical lyrics. I, I feel like a lot of the time lyricism has escaped me uh, in enjoying music, and uh, and said I would say stupid things like, "Well, why do you go to the levee if the levee?" Why did you go to the levee before? Right. Like I, I tend to prefer songs that I that I have like um, more straightforward meanings and I, I tend know, to and, struggle. And you also yeah. you also listen to a lot of music while lifting weights. So like your favorite yeah. songs are like lift that weight real high, Pete. Lift that weight yeah. real high. Lift it so high it's hard, but you're going <laughs> to get those gains. Get those gains. Lift I mean, that like, weight real high, Pete. <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna, and, I, and like I also like, you know, today I, I was trying to play some special music for my son and I. And I played like Ella Fitzgerald's uh, 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 Old MacDonald had a farm. And then I also like took him on a tour of like old Ella Fitzgerald songs. And like, you know, I listened to a lot of I feel played trombone. And so I've like listened to a lot of like corny old jazz and a lot of the lyrics in corny old jazz don't have the same relationship, semantic relationship between signifier and signify that's present in this kind of song. Which maybe I maybe American Pie. I mean, I guess American Pie is a product of its time because it's the '70s and it's like psychedelia. But I associate the sort of wistful lyricism maybe more with a bit of a later kind of song because I don't think Don McLean is high when he's talking about this. Like he certainly doesn't seem to be experiencing any of the feelings associated with being high, right? Um, while he's talking about this, other than maybe light paranoia. But it's like um, <laughs> <laughs> this is be the day that I die. I just ate. I just ate a brownie, and this is going to be the day that I die. Oh God! Does, every, uh-huh. does everybody know that this? Is the day the music died? Are they all looking at <laughs> no, me? Look, the churches are on fire. There, there was a lady, and she sang to me. Like maybe I don't know. Uh, I think I think we, we do underestimate the disruptiveness of uh, psychedelia in artistic expression sometimes, and take it for granted that it isn't like a kind of wacky thing to have done to, to done to your art form. But but the so, point. But, but wait, yeah. well, sorry, Pete. I finish your point because I I, I want to rescue this song a little bit for you. Yeah. So like so I go. I I always struggle going to concerts for bands I don't know. Because especially if they have lyrical lyrics, because I never understand what they're talking about. Like, I feel like I enjoy concerts of bands. I know the words to their songs. Right. And uh, and I like to I, you know me, I like to close read things. I like to dig into things. And I do love poetry and I do love complicated and interesting poetry. And and I dig into it, you know, and I try to I try to parse it. But there is an obtuseness 
to the lyrics of this song that is doing something, even if it's something that I don't like, that is of a aesthetic value. Yeah, I think and, yeah. I think we I think we probably like have to talk about semiotics a little bit. Yeah. Because yeah. there are like there there are you can say sort of signifier and signified. Then like another another word that comes up in in these conversations a lot is like referent like if uh, if i say chair and then like this the, uh, talking about kind of uh chairness or a you know cognitive you know a uh, a linguistic idea of of a chair or chairness then um but then maybe i'm talking about a chair right like and that's and that's something but then with this it's it's not it's not that kind of signification in a straightforward way because it's like who is the you know I don't know I've heard the jester parsed as like Bob Dylan I've heard the jester part in different ways right like who is the jester so if like jester uh, the the signifier right like the the linguistic symbol you have jester the signified which is you know some sort of like idea of jester or jesterness as it like exists in a web in a differential web of you know other meanings and other uh you know other kinds of ideas uh arranged um arranged in a in a pattern of differing and deferring to uh, uh to one another then you have an actual like uh clown dressed in motley <laughs> Right, that's another one, and then you have Bob Dylan, which is yeah, which is a still farther like uh, a still farther leap to take, and and like your, I I think the thing that annoys you is that the the way the it's it's really like spot allegory, you know, it's it's not at all. There's no kind of system to it. There's that, and there's yeah. not really there's not really any larger point, you know. Um, um, the, it's t- not even evenly spaced across years. Like as I was going through it, I was like, I mean, we didn't start the fire. It's in chronological order. You know, I love we didn't start the fire. It was in third grade. Like, I love that song, you know, like it's because uh, everything has a, a scheme and you, you know, once you click it and you get that you have, you know, the code, then you can go in, you can feel like you're in on something and then you can see all the internal connections. And, and this song doesn't feel like it has a code. Uh, it's like it's not like Omar. A man's got uh, to a man's got to have a code. But Pete, yeah. this is the time when America lost its code. So oh, the code. So it's the fallacy of imitative it's form. The fallacy of imitative form. Exactly. <laughs> there are two. There are two poems. Uh, you know, from the from the nineteenth and twentieth centuries that I actually think are good. Um, are are good poems to like kind of bring into conversation with with this one is the second coming by yates because the the definitely um the sense the kind of sense of downerness you know that mark that mark uh, that mark alluded to before right like is is expressed in the second coming about like how, how the falcon cannot hear the falconer things fall apart the center cannot hold mere anarchy is loosed upon the world and it's uh you know like uh, uh don mclean spent his whole career wishing he had the high rhetorical flourish that william butler yates uh could bring could bring to a poem he never quite managed it funny funny enough but but um this is you know uh let's see let's just read more second coming because it's good the blood dimmed tide is loosed and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned the best lack all conviction while the worst are full of passionate intensity these could be the lyrics to american pie if the you know the lyrics of american pie had slightly more literary quality uh than 
right then they have this, this might be an iron maiden song <laughs> like I'm, I'm really digging it <laughs> I, it actually literally might the be best lock all conviction. <laughs> um, i encourage you to listen to the full iron maiden rhyme of the ancient mariner song it's pretty epic it's great <laughs> the other one is is uh england in 1819 by percy bish shelley um which is uh, the same thing. It's like a catalog of bad things, you know. Uh, an old man, ba- an old mad, blind, despised, and dying king. Princes, the dregs of their dull race, who flow through public scorn, mud from a muddy spring. Rulers who neither see nor feel nor know, but leech-like to their fainting country cling, till they drop blind in blood without a blow. Now, if I told you that was about England in 1819, right, if I told you that was about, uh, you know, the Trump presidency, if I told you that was about, like, the fantastical fantasy kingdom of Zalamazoo, you know, you'd believe me, right? Like, because they're all, it, uh, this one also manages to get that kind of, like, high rhetorical flourish where it's, it's very specific. I mean, you can't, like, if you read a version with footnotes, there are, like, you know, things, allusions to the political situation of the time, but also like they, they manage to, you know, Shelley manages to like write them in such a way where they, they become, um, kind of, they become kind of universal. You know, the, the ending of this poem uh, is wonderful. The main verb makes a, a, like a, uh, really sensational, uh, appearance in the last line of the, um, uh, of the poem. But the, like, uh, you know, but this, this, this is this sort of thing and, and the kind of like, uh, uh, a catalog of malaise or a, you know, uh, a sort of, you know, an, a, like an inventory of our ills and our woes that, um, that, you know, that is true now, but is also like kind of timeless and true of, of, uh, all humanity at, at all times. And I, I think the thing that's annoying you, Pete, is like that this song is kind of reaching for it and, and, C plus B minus gets there, right? <laughs> yeah, as a song about yeah about like England in nineteen eighteen or whatever. Right, yeah, like, exactly. It's, it's not quite as good. It, it is. It is funny that this song comes out what like fifty years after the glasses and the Great Gatsby are looking over the ash heap that is America. Right? Uh-huh. Like uh, that. That that it is something. This is a moment that comes and comes and comes and comes. Uh, and uh, but yeah, I guess. It's also like it's it's a Scarface song, I guess, is what I'm coming around to, right? Is that it's describing a situation that's that's bad, and like and like thought of as bad and being described as bad, but you sing the song and you're totally into it, and so yeah. like what is what is the semiotic value? I guess would that be the right term? What is the truth value of singing American Pie? Um, I mean, I guess what what is the pie is is what I lean toward because I lean towards close reading as a as a as a I lean towards a cold a warm blanket in a cold night, um, or towards a you know not being near a tree in a in a lightning storm, but uh, but yeah, like um, what is the thing? I guess I guess it's like you're speaking about something. Okay, sorry, I'm 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 scattering about. I'll make another song reference to a song I really like, which is much more my speed. Uh, which is um, it must have been love by Roxette, 
right? Brilliant, <laughs> um, a wonderful you know, song. Lay yeah, a whisper a, on my pillow. Yes. You know? you know what there is? There's a whisper and there's a pillow, you know? <laughs> And it's and got it's, subtext. And you I'm can't, not against subtext. You can't yeah. lay a whisper on a pillow, but you know what it means to lay a whisper on my... Uh, and you also know what it means to leave the winter on the ground, you know? And, yeah. not, and not in your heart, Pete. Not <laughs> in your heart. I think there's a certain body of theory that would support a, a an interpretation of songs like that. Like another song I like, it's all coming back to me now, right? Like songs that are trying to describe something that you place in an indescribable place that a, a you might think of it, you know, semiotically as a transcendental signifier or semantically uh, as a transcendental signifier where there isn't anything behind it. But assuming that you you have identified at least the rough geography of a thing that you're attempting to poetically describe and you describe it by its absence, you, you, you sort of write around it. You kind of cast light on it and write the shadow. Uh, right. So like it must have been love is a great is a song about a great love affair uh, that must have been great because the pain of it being not even the pain, it's not even the pain of it being gone. It's that like you can only stand to describe uh, the thing that's left behind because you could never have really looked at it while you were experiencing it. You know, the nowness of now and all that, you know, it's all coming back. Like it, it's all coming back to me now. You know, if there are nights of endless pleasure. It was more than any laws allowed. What laws was Celine Dion breaking? <laughs> you know, like, like there's only a few I can think of. <laughs> like, uh, and was she in Canada or the United States when she broke them? <laughs> is, is this a Jim Steinman song? Uh, but but is, was she in South Korea? Because then there's probably a lot more laws uh, at the time that she's singing. But no, like the idea that you you don't suggest too much that's directly true about the thing that you're trying to to sort of really elevate and bring to this sort of state of ecstasy. You, you're, you're talking about all the stuff around it. So like with American Pie, I do kind of feel like people who are singing about it are singing about the American Pie, even though the whole song is about the American Pie not being there, right? So, and it's like, and we're singing all this stuff that isn't it. And I'm wondering, is that like, is, is, it, a, is it a case where the American Pie really doesn't exist? And we, but we, we sort of, we sort of create a feeling and a sensation of it, a sort of artistic sensation in this sort of lyrical mapping. And we sort of weave it in mystery and sort of coat it in the rings of an onion so that like we, we sort of trust that inside of all these references, is there something that brings you to like this, this American pie? Like, or, you know, this is something that does exist and we just can't, we're not going to tell the, the straight up truth about it, which is that we hated the 60s and we wanted the 50s to last forever. <laughs> <right>? like, <laughs> which, from a Korean, is particularly shocking because the 50s were not a particularly great time in Korea, right? Like, as, as far as I understand. Um, but, uh, but at the same time, that's saying another thing about, like, well, what are you talking about by not talking about it? Presumably, I'm, I mean, I'm guessing, and, and Mark, you probably you know much more about the Korean politics than I do, but my guess would be that the reason you sing American Pie at the White House is because you're you're expressing some sort of connection to the effort of particularly you're speaking it like to the commander in chief, the sort of like effort in this sort of complicated military relationship to bring about a state of affairs that is at the very least a little bit better than it would have been otherwise. Um, right. And that you're you're sort of like you're at least at least to that audience. You're trying to say that, like, you've come to a fondness for a an aspirational idea of the way that people ought to live 
you know, kind of like driving their Chevys to levees and whatnot. Mm-hmm. You know, sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze <laughs> would be another song that articulated. <laughs> Perhaps a song that hits the nail a bit more on the head about what exactly the pie is. Um, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but, um, hey, you know, like uh, overthinking goes on long after the thrill of overthinking is gone. Uh, <laughs> but it's never gone. We keep doing it. Um, but yes, you know what I like, I, is, is that, is it like a, uh, or, I mean, Mark, you had some other ideas about the sort of role of American culture in, I don't want to say it, the stabilization of Korean society. Cause I, I wouldn't venture to guess when that happened. Um, if it has happened at all, has it happened to any of us so, anywhere, but all right, I'll go um, from there. So you, you, yeah. the, the first piece there, I'm just like, um, you know, expressing fondness, affinity for this particular notion of America, like the notion that the, the America that came to South Korea's aid. Um, right, right, right. That's coincidentally, at the, around the time this like this golden age of 1950s, um, America that the that is being lamented and and, and mourned in this song. Um, yes, I think I, I, I that that's kind of an, over, an oversimplification, but um, if you're kind of looking for like a political, geopolitical, and diplomatic message of the song it's like a there's that and then again be kind of that just like purely visceral sense of american exuberance that the song conveys actually not so much in like the part that he's saying but like the latter parts of it yeah you see that you know you, you just you, you kind of you you bring that to the conversation in the whole song even if you just do just do the very first part of it so, um, so, I'm oh, sorry. I, yeah, just, it, I had a flash. I just want to share before it goes away of the South Korean president practicing by starting like started from the bottom. Now we're here. And we're like, Mr. President, A, that's Canadian. And B, Joe Biden is much too old. You have to sing an old song. <laughs> He's a very old man. <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> continue. <laughs> I'm, OK, so then to, to, to broaden this out a little bit more and I think about like the pop cultural relationship between these two countries, there's just like so, so much going on. Yeah, right. And so you can pretty generally say that the presence of American military uh, installations throughout the world, whether it's Europe or Asia um, or in the post-World War II era and the Cold War era, did a whole lot to spread American and by extension Western pop culture um, through all those areas. Right. And we talked about the Elvis podcast, like the reason why my dad was an Elvis fan, probably and he's not here to, to, to confirm this, but it's probably because. Um, American Armed Force GIs and the radio and and kind of that entire apparatus, right? You know, brought American pop culture into that country in like in a really big and notable way. Um, and it, it, it the, the story just gets even more interesting from there, right? Because um, fast forward several decades, and Korea has managed to, um, in, in like a true syncretic fashion take every american art form put it into uh its own like you know baked um, korean um, slash american pie and then put that into a blender and add some additional stuff into it and, and unleash k-pop upon the world right and so like, there's something really interesting here where like you know arguably some of the largest music acts in the world uh you know specifically bts um are of korean provenance and then you know the head of state of that country comes uh, to the United States and pays tribute in this specific way with this specific American song. Um, it's like, you know, we cannot escape that orbit, right? Like the, uh, the, that particular, the, the, the Cold War influence that kind of has brought us to this very strange and wonderful um, uh, point in our history. Um, so that just like, you, you, what I'm getting at here is like, you know, like we, we, it's almost like obligatory. Like she's kind of like have to do this, right? And like, you know, he's not going to go up there. He's not going to sing Gangnam style. 
<laughs> stuck in a sink <laughs> a BTS song. As amazing as that would be. Yeah. And again, arguably like kind of like, you know, in, in some ways more appropriate in speaking to the to the to the current point. Um that's hey, just not on the table yet. Dr. Biden. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so I have heard a Korean pop act won your American song contest. <laughs> so I shall sing that song, which you must all love and all know very well. <laughs> Oh the the uh, most famous song in America, winner right, of your contest. Right. Oh, the geez, winner of the yeah. American Song Contest, yes, which we can all reference as the joke. But, that, I mean, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Um, that's really interesting. It sort of comes back because nowadays stuff like, you know, Parasite, you know, it, it, it's it's safe to say that the, the uh, Korean artist voice is no longer uh, content with, if it ever was, making like merely weak misreadings of American popular culture, but has like surpassed in many of, of their own ways in various ways, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so it's like, it's like, you know, we're making better movies now we're making better music now, but we'll still sing American pie out of gratitude, I guess, or out of like reference. Is it gratitude? I guess, because I, I feel like that word coming out of my mouth and it tastes like the ashes that the, uh, that the glasses are looking out at over the, over the Queens, <laughs> Oakley Queens expressway to be as it were. Um, you said it better than I, than I'm capable of saying it. I think, uh, just the, like the importance of it, I suppose. Um, I think Tyson Fury is crazy. I think he's saying it cause he's, he was free associated. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, no, and I, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think he's narcissistic and he was considering his, Hey, he was considering his I mean, okay. in the boxing match to be like the American dream fulfilled for everyone. And we should all be happy about it. Sure. Okay. Um, okay. So Pete, let me ask you this question, right? Yeah. Have you, uh, We've probably done this song of karaoke, right? Like partly to just to troll each other because it's ridiculously long, right? Um, but surely, Pete, you have experienced a version of that exuberance that um, uh, that the, the boxer whose name is already escaping me that 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 guy oh, Tyson um, Fury, yeah. that Tyson Fury that that he felt and that also like that he imparted upon to the crowd that was um, enthusiastically singing along with him. Um, surely, you have felt that exuberance when singing the chorus of this, Pete, right? Have you not? Would you deny it? I suppose. It? I don't know if I've ever sang this song karaoke myself. I've sang, no, sung along with other people. No one ever it. sings the song karaoke themselves, right? Like, what yeah. makes it a good <laughs> what makes it a good karaoke song, and I think it is a good karaoke song, is that everyone can sing the chorus. Everyone knows the chorus. And then one person, and you could even, like, uh, switch it up. So, like, the six verses could be done by, like, six different people. Are there six, however many verses, done by however many different people. But then one person can, like, read the lyrics off the screen. So, right, two things make, uh, two things make it a good karaoke song. One is that there's a screen. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the the second is that everyone knows everyone knows the chorus, uh, and it's not too complicated. Uh, it's you know it all is within one octave, um, and really it's mostly four notes uh, it, that uh, that that make it. It's very good. Well, it's you're, very you're, good you're for song a little bit short melodically because it got the whoo. I was a, you know and the, and no verdict was returned. Right, it has this like you know interesting peaks and valleys as well. That kind of really you know again like you know, convey a sense of exuberance, even when the lyrics don't totally deserve them. It gets away with having several movements, sort of, mm. like sections. It gets away with having several sections, which a lot of pop songs don't. I would describe it as being more elegantly structured than Bohemian Rhapsody, for example, as a comp. If you like, I'm now thinking about all songs that feel similar to that didn't feel similar to before. But as a song that sort of extends for a while through a couple of different sections, the sections both fit together more naturally and kind of also, I think, have more of a 
the 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 lyrical quality of it seems like it has more of a shape than Bohemian Rhapsody, which is like hard facets and like you know your name carved in the wall and a knife, right? Like it's uh, I just I feel like it's very jarring to go from section to section in Bohemian Rhapsody, um, or like you know Paradise by the Dashboard Light is another song that's like really long and has different sections. And it's like, what's the song doing now? I have no idea, right? Whereas like American Pie, you could almost forget that it has a whole lot of different sections that that kind of flow from each other and have transitions. And and if it didn't have lyrics, it would probably still be a good piece of music just to sort of hum along to while you're, you know, while you're buying what, Wrangler jeans uh, somewhere. I don't know. Where would you play American Pie music? Um, it's funny. There is a Thai restaurant near me that, well, it's near where I used to live that would play, uh, Muzak, uh, versions of like hits from the seventies and eighties. Um, and I would have loved to have heard a sort of like jazzy version of American pie with no lyrics, uh, just going on for like eight minutes or ever goes sure, on with like, like um, a saxophone with MIDI accompaniment, right? Yeah. Like, you know, playing that God, that's, uh, that sounds good. I, I hope that I'm no doubt that that yeah. exists. I mean, I will say, Mark, that I since I'm, since I'm taking something of a of a devil's advocate position here on the song, contrarian position on the song a little bit was like I feel self-conscious about songs like this, uh, particularly songs from the 60s and 70s that like aspire to sort of uh, descriptive arcs about like history uh, and stuff that happened. And also like sort of big sing along songs that are like from earlier on. Then I mean, not early on that I think of as sort of like, uh, I guess you could use the word normie, which is kind of cruel. But like, uh, uh, you know, I like cla- like like I would never sing Piano Man karaoke. Right. I'd never sing Piano Man karaoke. I would never sing this karaoke. Um, but the song that I was always whip out when I felt the impulse to sing something like this. Uh, I don't know if I would tell you about this. because I don't know if I've had to do it in your company because I don't think we've ever gone out to a bar where it's like, well, you got to sing something. Um, is a song that I refer to as the good Eleanor Rigby. Do you know what song I, I, I am describing when I when I say that? Do Do Host by Rammstein? No, no, no. Oh, uh, uh, no scenes uh, from an Italian restaurant by oh. Billy Joel, which is oh. a, which is an epic song that takes Choice, play, yeah. that starts in the same place as Jack and Diane and as American Pie, right? But goes nowhere right like like it's it's just people coming back to the same restaurant uh, <laughs> as their relationship and their marriage falls apart in exactly the way that everyone knows it's going to fall apart right like it's like if i love i love how it seems from an italian restaurant they're like the couple's gonna get married and it's like and all their friends told them that it was a stupid idea because they were going to be bad at being married but they did it anyway right? like uh and and it's it has a relationship with change <laughs> And like, and the maybe it's the expectation that change is going to be mostly bad. <laughs> uh, I guess I mean that's not that's not entirely fair. But that like things that happen in life, because uh, change isn't going to be mostly bad. But the idea that like you're going to enter into these long stretches of life between when you're in an adolescence and when you're like in the full throes of adulthood, when your world is going to get shattered, and it happened to the boomers in a big way, and like there's a whole bunch of songs about it. I just like the one that's about like eating eating bread and drinking wine at the Italian restaurant <laughs> rather than the one that's like, and the prophets were singing to me while I was getting a really affordable mortgage. Oh my gosh. It's really the difference is uh, uh, one song has talks about a waterbed and the other one doesn't. I mean, oh man. 
Well, that, now you're now you're skirting the edges of walking in Memphis, which is another angle of this song. Right? That makes me think that. The, oh, the, OK, go there, because you mentioned that as another kind of like in this like category of like kind of bombastic sing alongs or people don't really know um, uh, the, the kind of the mood about it does not match the lyrics. So like what's what's yeah. your what's your take on walking on Memphis and how yeah. it relates to this? In much the same way that the pie could be any number of things. I mean, you could say it's dead on one thing, obviously, but I don't think it is. The pie could be any number of things. There's so many different ways to interpret this song by connecting it with other songs that it feels associated with because it's been around so long. Okay, walking in Memphis. I my brain lit up once when a person that I uh, no one like descri- described how much they hated this song, Walking in Memphis, which had never occurred to me as being a feeling that anyone would ever have. Right. Like, about, why would anyone about hate- walking in Memphis or just in general? Why would why would anyone ha- choose to hate anything? No, no, no. I, I understand hatred. I'm from New Jersey. I get it. <laughs> I've, I've, been in, I've been to Memphis before. It's not a very walkable city. OK, you got to drive everywhere. Uh, you know, it's going to go to like, you know, pedestrian infrastructure. It, it has. I've, I've watched it. I have um, in my deep dives in my in my rabbit holes on pedestrian fatality that I've gone through on my late nights on the Internet. Memphis has come up more than once as looking at that city's street grid and being like, it's crazy. <laughs> like, like it's like a four lane highway to get to the McDonald's in the middle of town. Yeah, I mean, right? you, like, you just described most American cities actually be, but sorry. Yeah. And it's funny because people will say like, oh, your city really needs to change. And it's like, well, you don't know how bad it is in a lot of other places, which is also something that you could say about American pie. You don't know how bad it was in 1959 to even the people who lived down the street from you or even to your parents. Uh, but, uh, oh, but no, you, my, you my, uh, my, my, my city just voted to, to rip out the, the bus lanes and protected bike lanes and re and put the, put all the cars back, put the pre pandemic <laughs> level of level of cars back, even though 200 people spoke against oh. it at the city council meeting. <laughs> the day the infrastructure like, died. Yeah, exactly. There was one, uh, yeah, uh, right. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, she asked me if I might travel down the road, and I said I'd take the bus. I said, tell me, can you cross the street? I said, hey, that's dangerous. Nobody's walking in Memphis. <laughs> nice. so, so, like, it was described as manipulative. <laughs> this is a song. Now, on reflection, I would associate walking in Memphis with Toto's Africa. <laughs> <laughs> In that it's a song about how cool it is to travel to a place where you don't necessarily really believe the person singing has ever been there. <laughs> like, uh, or maybe what uh, the difference is the guy who wrote Walking Man, who is, I'm sure, a famous person whose name I should know, especially if I'm bringing up Mark, the song on a Mark podcast. Cohn. Mark Cohn. Yeah, the, the, to, like well, a, yeah. sort of a, like a white soul artist, like Jew eyed soul is the, as I think, the kind of semi comical name of the genre. Gotcha. So, like, Mark Cohn and Don McLean are similar in that you don't. Go. You don't listen to their two for Tuesday on the uh, classic rock station, right? It's like Pink Floyd. Here's two Pink Floyd hits. You know, Bruce Springsteen. Here's a whole day of Bruce Springsteen songs. And then it's like American Pie and uh, and Walking in Memphis. And it's like I don't. I think, I'm sure he had other hits, but I don't know what any of them are, right? Like, and I'm sure if you could say them, did oh, that song. To, okay. Did you ever listen to Silver Thunderbird? Or. Uh-huh. No, I mean, okay. not, is that a band or is that a song? No, it's a song. A... It's a don't you give okay. me no Buick. He, uh, Pete, he won the Grammy for best new artist, beating Boys to Men and Seal. <laughs> Wait, it's that late? <laughs> <laughs> he was a new artist against Seal, and 19, he wrote Walking in Memphis, nineteen ninety two. Yeah. Oh, really? That song's from nineteen ninety two. Yeah, that's a. 
So that's a poser song. Now I understand why people don't like it. It feels like it's from 1975. Well, it's got to be from after Elvis died, right? Which is like there's this fictional time that doesn't exist where it's still the early 70s and Elvis is dead, right? Um, where, uh, But yeah, it's like, of course, there's a lot of exoticization in it. It's a lot of like, you know, the white guy goes to the place where the black people live and experiences their intensity of emotion and authenticity, which is, of course, a whole genre of literature that can mostly be, no, I wouldn't say thrown in the trash, but like has had see, has seen days of greater admiration and influence than it currently holds. I would say uh, uh, Last Samurai, notwithstanding, and Dance with Wolves and whatnot. But um, but that, like it never had occurred to me to that time that it would have strong feelings about Walking in Memphis because it was just this ambient song that always existed. I, I feel like I had a moment once where I was like, man, there were whole like eras of people who lived and died who like never heard White Wedding. Like it just didn't exist by <laughs> Billy Idol. And it's like, to me, White Wedding by Billy Idol is like a thing you discover, not a thing that's created, right? It's like something that's out there that you came across at one point and then it just shows up all the time, right? It's like, as, it's as part of the landscape as the mountains, right? Like, uh, and I guess you can blow the tops off the mountains too if you want, but it's like, man, whole people never even knew that that White Wedding existed. Um, and that's how it felt as such a fixture, not not its grandeur, not its specialness, not even how good it is. Just that it was like it was so repeated and it was so uh, it's so occupied a niche. It was like it sort of competed out all of the other songs that were just like it to become it. Not because it was extremely unique. Right. But because it was the one that kind of won the turf. Uh, and I felt like walking in Memphis was similar. It was like, you know, it, I put on my blue suede shoe. It's the putting on your blue suede shoes song. And walking in the rain. Great. You walk in the rain. You know, awesome. We learned something new today that people can walk in the rain in suede shoes, which they shouldn't do. Uh, but you know what? I know this great levee you should go to in your suede shoes because there's no water there because the levee is dry. Uh, but the point being that like uh, <laughs> that, like, yeah, that, that they're that they're both both songs have this sort of classic rock esque permanence that feels to an extent inauthentic in part because I don't feel I don't experience it as being part of like an oeuvre. I have no identification personally with the person singing American Pie. And I don't mean Don McLean. I mean like the the speaker of the poem mm -hmm. is is a cipher, right? Like like he he very, very slyly avoids talking about himself, right? Which of course uh which of course does not happen in Seas from Italian restaurant. Everyone's talking about everybody. Um but uh but like I don't know anything about him. I don't know what he I mean, I don't even really know whether he likes all these things that happened, um, you know, like and again, he's avoiding talking about the stuff that really matters to him. And uh, but there is this sort of guitar rock vibe that kind of meshes with this historical context and that meshes with its role in, you know, as as a sort of cultural fixture as, as ultimately like a song that became something of a I don't want to call it a folk song. But a Volk song, you know, like a uh, like part of the zeitgeist, right? Um, part of like like if you were evil and trying to figure out what it really meant to be American, you might write a piece about how important walking in Memphis is to understand what it is to be American, right? Or like how important American Pie is, uh, because it really tells you more than anything else ever created what being American is all about. Um, when in fact it's like a cipher. And kind of a uh, and kind of deliberately obscuring what they're actually talking about by avoiding talking about the person who's talking and offering their perspective. Um, and uh, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm going but again, off. Like, I, I, yeah, agreed. These songs are ciphers. Um, 
kind of American Pie more so. Walking to Memphis is like is much more like you know, it's just like it's what you see on the tin, right? You know, it's this, this white person going on and experiencing, uh, you know, black culture and having this semi quasi religious experience we've just talked about, right? It's like you know, Toto's Africa. It's about how yeah. how how black civilization exists for uh, the self actualization of white people. <laughs> yeah, and that's so, what that song but, is about. I, I, so it kind of comes down to like like you 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 just kind of uh, you know you can't let go of the, of the cypherness. <laughs> Of it. No, uh, I mean, I just had like, a lot of more thoughts than we have time. I should let us move on to other topics. It's not the most important thing, I guess. <laughs> We're at like an hour and five minutes. <laughs> I could go for three. This song is really long, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's three times as long as the average pop song. So we need a podcast that's three times as long yes. as the average. We did a double podcast for the two part Star Trek episode. <laughs> 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 no, 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 no. I, it's I would, not. I, not I can't refer- let go of it. I want to understand it. I want to understand the it experience of the cipher. Pete. That's the thing. That's right. I don't like, believe it. We 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 talk. We spent an entire uh, podcast talking about the the music of the killers. Right. Remember this is like you yeah. know when the, the aforementioned Bruce Springsteen showed up at the encore and it was like kind of blew my mind. Right. Um. So many killers lyrics are absolute nonsense. Right. right. And it just the crowd is just losing it, myself included. Um, at this nonsense and singing it together at the top of their lungs as if it is something profound, right? Pete, are we human or are we dancer? <laughs> I mean, it's a cipher, but I don't care. It 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 it, it feels it, it it feels beyond cipherness. Beyond Mad Max, beyond cipherness. Yes. Oh man. I mean, I guess. Well, but then there's like, I mean, compare it to a song that is on one of my running mixes, despite myself. And good taste, which is, you know, Holland 1945 by Neutral Milk Hotel, which also reads as chaos, but like it is a cipher, but actually has a code. Right. And it's like and you actually dig sure. into it. And, oh, yeah, they yeah, are yeah, talking yeah. about something. Um, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't mean to like, write, you know, just like say, like, you know, I have no standards <laughs> like, you know, no, 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 like, no. Lyric, lyrics that hit are just like you know, lyrics that resonate, just resonate. And that's kind of it. Right. Like, you know, like we could we could talk about the mountain goats. Right. Then, you know, we, we should actually talk about um, um, uh, uh, and their one album. That the most the most recent thing with the uh, I'm I'm doing it for vengeance right like uh, that that's some like you know that's a next level different category with the right ble- I, I was in a I've I like I haven't been in a mosh pit since the 90s and when I saw the mountain goats touring behind bleed out uh, there was a spontaneous mosh pit that just erupted um, when they played uh, wage wars get rich die handsome it was it was glorious you know and i, I got you know a, a, a portly dad slammed into me and i experienced but you know that, that's catharsis. kind of related right like you know like the enthusiasm felt there right is um you know they're, they're not you know all those uh, bros moshing there are you know they're not um earnestly wanting to wage war get rich and die handsome right in the same way that you know, and I'm when I'm singing along with like, yeah, you know, drove a Chevy to Levy, Levy was tight, like this will be the day that I die, hooray! Like you know, that's like, yeah. you know, there's like this 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 um weird intersection of enthusiasm, um, you know, and 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 like that uh, visceral, you know, experiences music in it in a visceral way, and just kind of like picking and choosing and like saying like, yes, I'm going to latch on this, and I'm going to feel strongly about it, even though I don't really actually identify with the core meaning of this so okay so here's another one other thing and i know we don't have a ton more time maybe one of the things that that irks me about this song that is inducing me to act this way which is a little rude uh is is how much it prioritizes music 
as the big thing that's happening in this time frame. Sure. Um, and and I'm reminded of a different song, uh, you know, Pride in the Name of Love by U2, which is similarly also a song about tumultuous things that happened in the late 60s that really kind of shattered, uh, you know, norms um, and, and sort of optimism, uh, you know, for of a certain sort. Right. Um, although, of course, you two not having grown up sucking on a chili dog outside the Tasty Freeze has a little bit of a different perspective on historicity. Um, and uh, um, but but I get so I got so mad when that song was used in Moulin Rouge, sung from Ewan McGregor to, to Nicole Kidman. But he wants in the name of love. He wants one night in the name of love. <laughs> because I'm like, no, the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. is important. And it should be like, the way that it should be poeticized should at least, maybe it's, maybe it's the chronicle of the ships in me that I like see a role in lyric and poetry for preserving information about things that happened that were important. Like I joke about the sixties being a tumultuous time. It was a tumultuous time. It was a time of like tremendous social change, the sixties and seventies, obviously for huge reasons, you know, like the whole, what it meant to be uh, 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 in the United States in particular is what we know about, right? Like what it meant to be like a person, a democratic person, you know, a person recognized by the state as having certain rights changed like fundamentally in that time period. Um, in huge ways. And it was hugely, there was lots of violence and lots of horrible reaction. Um, lots of stuff changed. And there were lots of different opinions and ideas. Uh, and then like, but the idea that like maybe Bob Dylan had a cool leather jacket has always felt to me like the, uh, it's, it's felt to me a little bit like the sort of folk rock singers of the 60s have kind of coasted a little bit on the coincidence of what was happening when they were making their music, right? Like, uh, not necessarily that Bob Dylan, not even that Bob Dylan coasted, because I don't think Bob Dylan coasted, but I think Bob Dylan is not what people think he is. You know, like, like it never was, right? That Bob Dylan, is, like like most, you know, you know, great artists in a capitalist system is making music to make money that happens to be awesome and is not diminished by the fact that it was made to make money, right? Like, and that, he, that he's a little bit mercenary, um, but he's also an artist and a craftsman and all that stuff and a great lyricist. And he has things to say. Uh, but the idea that Bob Dylan is the sort of herald of a new age, I don't know. Everything I've read about Bob Dylan, but of course, you know, that's a, not, a, not, not a random sample, wouldn't suggest that that was what he was doing during that time period, right? Like, um, but then again, he survived, right? And a lot of people didn't. Uh, but just like also, what are the events that happen in that time period that are highly disruptive that he doesn't talk about? And why isn't he talking about them? And and I mean, it's, maybe it's just because it's not what he experienced. Maybe maybe that's part of the change in our media landscape now. And that like maybe he just wasn't consciously aware of those things as they were happening. <laughs> maybe he's like, oh man, like John Lennon, you know, his name is Lennon, and he sounds like he's kind of a communist, <laughs> right? Like that's a pretty big deal. Meanwhile, there's like dogs and fire hoses, <laughs> you know, like there's like. Uh, the president's assassinated and he only sort of talks about it sideways. Um, and even that, like that, like that's the one big thing that happened in the sixties, you know, like lots of stuff happened in the sixties. Um, and, and maybe part of why I enjoy, um, um, uh, uh, Billy Joel's, uh, historiographies is because he, he does, he seems to intuitively understand that a lot happens in, in periods of time, but seems incapable of coping with it. So it's either like all the information you could ever fit into a song and it's still thoroughly inadequate or it's like no information. 
we're from Allentown. We made steel in Allentown. <laughs> like, and, and now we're not in Allentown anymore. I drive a fishing boat and, and it sucks to try to keep driving a fishing boat because the, uh, the fishing market ain't what it used to be. Right. Like and Billy Joel has these songs that are about like the passage of time in history where at least he tries to talk about the important things that were happening, even if he knows that a pop song is not a great opportunity to actually do that. Um, but yeah, I don't know why it's not, it shouldn't be blamed. It's not like, it's not like Don McLean only wrote one song just because I only listened to one of his songs. I'm sure he wrote songs about other things, you know? And it's like, it, it, it's like, there's definitely a logical fallacy happening where it's like, oh, the things that are in the song that everybody sings along to the most and listens to the most must then reflect the truest intent of the person who said them. When in fact, what they would rather reflect is the, is the collective expressed, you know, probabilistic intent of the audience which doesn't really want to talk about the actual things that happened in the sixties, which doesn't, you know, like, which doesn't want to sing a song about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Knowing that it's about the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. That doesn't want to confront what actually happened in the sixties. Um, and doesn't want to confront how in a narrow band of the fifties for the narrow group of people we're talking about is between, you know, wars, you know, and like depressions and horrible things. So, um, yeah, maybe, maybe the thing that I resent the most about this song is just, it's just us, you know, and like being in the group of people, you know, that that for whom this song feels so resonant. It's like I want to I want the song to mean something that makes sense to me because I want to I want to feel like the response that I have to it makes sense. And I and I don't want to face the reality that it's like a, either a joke or a con or like, you know, denial of important things for the president of Korea. It's not for him. It, there's a very clear thing that he's talking about. Um, South Korea. Sorry, I shouldn't speak about the whole peninsula. It's obviously a complicated political situation. I wonder if the other guy likes uh, American Pie too, or if he's more of a uh, more of a what Tom Petty man. Um, <laughs> I'm sure he's expressed his musical preferences somewhere. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Like, are we are we the baddies if we like American Pie? I guess is sort of my question. Um, you know, like like. Is there because there's like in American like, history, like, you know? I like all kinds of pies, Pete. I like uh, true, you know. But like in, in American pie, there's like so many. In America in general, American culture in general, there's so many things where like you think that it's a hegemonic culture, but it really isn't. And there's different groups of people who have very, very different interpretations of the same symbolism and iconography, right? Like, and you could say, well, obviously, if you look at the symbol from the way these people describe it, then like that's what the symbol means. And that means everybody means the same thing by it. It's like, no, actually, it's sectional. This group of people hate this other group of people. They don't talk to each other, but they both listen to American Pie and they both think it's for them because the song is like kind of a cipher. It's like what exactly it's about. Maybe that's just a, something that's useful in pop music is like leaving room for the audience like a comic book, you know, to not show the axe falling. Like let the let the audience imagine the American Pie. As the thing that that they think is important to them, you know, is it an actual pie? Is it like, you know, innocence? Do you care about like sexual purity? You know, is this a religious song? Is it like Warrant? Is it the prequel to Warrant? <laughs> right. Um, the, oh, because uh, she, this is my American pie, but then she's my cherry pie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's not the only song about pie. Um, most of the other songs about pie are crass, though. Um, and this one isn't. I don't know. I'm going off. I'm going off, man. I think I, we may. Uh, I think we may have to leave it uh, here. I, I, think I took may... my Chevy to the levee and I'm drowning. I know. Well, the the, <laughs> the three men you admire most, uh, you know, Pete Fenzel, Mark Lee, and Matt Rather, are gonna. I, I wish you guys would take the last train for the coast, the bleeding edge. 
of uh, the bleeding edge of America here, where where uh, everything is, you know, where where uh, we live in the future. Um, all right, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to leave it there, but but let's continue the conversation on Discord about American Pie, uh, who is you know uh, you keep referring to it as an it, Pete. The American Pie is a she. It's a uh, it's Miss American Pie. It is an unmarried right. woman. Um, yes. So that's uh, you know. I thought it was about this year Anakin guy. <laughs> <laughs> We didn't even talk about the movies. Uh, <laughs> I know. Uh, we so much. So let's get join us on Discord. Yeah, on we'll, Discord. We'll, we'll be, uh, one we'll time be, in Bandcamp. We'll be American in there. Pie. Oh, yep. We'll be slicing, slicing up the pie and serving it to uh, serving it to, to everybody over on the Discord. And we'll be back next week. Until then, you can visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't, doesn't deserve, deserve. So the movies, though, right? In the movies, the American pie, is the American pie the sex or is the American pie the absence of sex that they're trying to get past? Right. Because having sex with the pie is the thing that you do when you're not having sex. Right. So like is – is it about are American Pie movies about sexual frustration or sexual gratification? All I all I know is that uh, Eugene Levy is the jester, and <laughs> well, I went. I took my Chevy to Eugene Levy, and he was very drunk. <laughs> <laughs>